Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> yeah, right. We all know he wasn't reading his Bible in school. Hey, I'm just speak the truth, son. All right. <laughs> Safety team meeting next Sunday. And uh, what time? Right after church. I also want to um, ask prayer and to give a shout out we've got a lot of people who watch online and they've some have been here and some haven't been here some can't come and um some of our folks are um they maybe have issues sicknesses and they can't get here whatever the reason may be and uh, a couple i just want you to pray for is billy Kay and uh, miss judy if you know miss judy she comes and uh she watches online both of those uh, watch online and so uh, we're thankful for you guys and all the other people who watch online too uh, that can't be here for whatever reason uh, we love you guys and we miss you and, and hopefully you'll be able to get back with us soon but we are thinking and praying about you and uh, we love you if you would please turn in your bibles with me to proverbs chapter 25 proverbs chapter 25 We'll be looking at verses 8 through 10, and this will start us out on a message today that I think is absolutely needed, about as much as any message maybe that I've ever preached before. The title for today's message is, For the Love of All That's Holy, Stop Your Whining and Gossiping. Uh, my wife just got super nervous. For the love of all that's holy, stop your whining and your gossip. This is for me and for you and for everyone else that has a social media account. Okay? Oddly enough, uh, Facebook was not an issue in Paul's day. But those things that are equivalent to Facebook were an issue in Paul's day. Not that Proverbs was written in Paul's day, but we're going to get to Paul. We're going to start out with some wisdom principles in the book of Proverbs, which is wisdom literature. And what I want to talk to you today about today is the way we go about handling issues that pop up between neighbors, between brothers, between sisters, between family. Okay? I'm not sure if it's for lack of understanding that the people perish and they destroy one another, or if it is being well aware how you should handle these situations, but having a rebellious, wicked spirit uh, that causes you to go about handling these things in a worldly manner. And what I'm going to suggest to you today is to handle these issues that crop up between neighbors, between believers, between husbands, wives, so on and so forth, in any way except the biblical way is nothing more than backbiting, whining, gossip, deceitful wickedness that destroys and tears down the church and everything else within reach instead of, rest, and instead of seeking restoration, redemption forgiveness and peace basically seeking those things that are of christ instead of those things that are of the world so to reiterate 
The title for today's message is For the Love of All That's Holy, and I mean that. Stop your whining and your gossiping, okay? Let's look at some scripture, and let's build a case for handling, handling those things that come between you, sins that pop up, in a, in a biblical way rather than a worldly way. Proverbs chapter 25, starting in verse 8. What your eyes have seen, let's all stand together for reading of God's word, sorry. Verse 8, what your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring, to, bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. May, may God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> what your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. These verses are general wisdom that are given to us from Solomon and, and hold true in principle in every realm of life. We would do well to read a proverb a day. The 31 Proverbs, there's, there's in most months there are 30 to 31 days. There's a, a number for each day, you know, October 1st. Proverbs 1, October 2nd, Proverbs 2. Do that every month. You will be amazed at how much you grow. We see in this proverb here, we see some, some amazing wisdom being laid out before us that if we would put it into place, we would find that our lives would transform in the most radical ways. It seems like a simple concept, but it is not. At least it is not an easy concept to put into place in one's life. Why? I believe it's because we are selfish, prideful, and wicked, at least fleshly, at times. And we're not seeking in our disputes what God would have for us, but we're seeking what our fleshly desire has for us and what the world would have for us. As we look at this proverb, we see a few things pop out, but I want to just lay some of these out, and I want to move fairly quickly to the New Testament, to some other uh, principles that we find written in some of the, the New Testament epistles, especially written by Paul, and some wisdom laid down by Jesus himself. We see here in the Proverbs, it says, What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what, what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? He says, so the things that you've seen, the things that have happened in your life, don't be so quick to run into a court that is an outside organization that stands outside of the relationship that you have with your neighbor. Okay, What the Bible here is talking about when it talks about neighbor, Jesus lays out who the neighbor is. It's those who you have relationship with. Okay, we don't base this on ethnic lines. We don't base this on 
bloodline. We don't base this on these things, but it's those who you have relationship with. So if you have relationship with someone, if your neighbor, someone who has relationship with you, lives in close proximity, you talk to them on a regular basis, we will bring this concept over in the New Testament to a brother and sister in Christ. But those who you have close relationship with, and I would say even extending outside of the principle, extends outside of just brotherly and sisterly love, but it's a basic principle that those who you have relationship with don't be so quick to bring an outside source of authority into this relationship without seeking to to deal with these things yourself he says don't be the things that you think you see don't be so quick to turn them over to the authorities don't be so quick to turn them over to another court but rather what does it say it says go to them and talk to them because why because your eyes could be deceiving you because your intentions could be deceiving you because your own desires could be deceiving you do you think it may be that sometimes you see what you want to see and not what's actually there and the principle here is is that you better be careful doing that and it doesn't say never do that because obviously there's a time when we would seek a, a, a higher authority obviously there is But it says you need to go to them. You need to make sure of what's going on before you go off taking this to some outside authority that may not have the same intentions you do, that may not have the same goals that you do. Be careful throwing this to someone that's outside of the situation. Rather, you need to go to them and talk to them to make sure what your eyes have seen, what you think you know, what you think you've heard is actually correct, is actually true, lest you look like a fool in the end. Because how many times do we go and we're spreading around all these things that we think we saw, that we think we, we uh, heard, that we think we know, and in the end it comes back to bite us because that never was the truth in the first place. And usually, and I'll say this as a side note, usually by the time it gets back around to make you look the, the fool like you have been for spreading lies and deceit, even if you were unaware It's already about burn their character down and it's finally come back to get you and now everybody's hurting when it when it never needed to happen that way nine times out of ten if you would just go to that person and say did I see what I thought I saw because this really worries me you know because I care about you and because I love you and because I don't want to see you destroyed did did I see you did I see you doing this? Did, I, did my eyes see correctly? Is it, what's going on here? Why, do, why, why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? Why? And you get the other side of the story. The Bible says, What your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? When the evidence actually comes out on the table and it's proven that what you thought you saw you did not see, then who's the one that looks foolish when you've made this huge big deal out of it and it turns out to be nothing at all? It reveals you for wanting to get something started. It reveals your ill motives. It reveals all these things. If you truly wanted restoration, you truly wanted redemption, and you truly cared about them, you wouldn't have went blabbing your mouth to everybody else that would possibly listen. If you really cared, you would have went to them and said, hey, look, I'm really concerned. What's going on here? Because this looks concerning to me. It will find you out. It says, argue your case with your neighbor himself. Argue, Argue your case with your neighbor himself. Go and talk to him. Go and talk to him. We'll see clear New Testament teaching on this here in just a little bit. Most of you, the the text is already popping to your mind. It says, argue your case with your neighbor uh, himself and do not reveal another secrets. 
Do not reveal another's secrets, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Two things I want to bring out here, and I want to jump to some, uh, some other verses. It says, go to your neighbor and argue with him in secret. Or argue with him himself, your neighbor himself. First principle, go and have it out with him. Go and, and do battle with him. Go and argue with him. Go and debate with him. It's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. It doesn't say that, oh, go and have Twinkies with him. No, it says argue, okay? There is biblical precedent that if, if Keith, if I think something's going on, if I saw something that I thought, what's up with that? Okay, when I go, do you think it's comfortable for me to go to a brother and to say, hey, bro, looks like you're in sin. We need to sit down and we need to hash this out. What's going on? Do you think that's comfortable? No, nobody. Well, I mean, some psychos like that, but nobody normally likes that, right? I don't like that. People think that I like being confrontational. No, I just want to be biblical. And I'm willing to try to, to do the awkward, hard, weird stuff, right? I try to do that, right? I don't like it when somebody comes to me with things that they think that I'm in the wrong about. But it's biblically necessary if we want to do things according to the Word of God and for restoration to be the goal. You can't blab your mouth and talk in secret behind somebody's back thinking that that's going to make the situation better when it's only creating more havoc and more problems than it's ever going to solve. That's not seeking restoration. It's only adding to the problem and making it worse. It's going to be tough. It says, go and argue with your neighbor himself. But secondly, look what it says there. And do not reveal another secret. And do not reveal. So not only, so you say, well, I have been talking to him. Yeah, but you've been talking to 15 other people too. I, I, would, I, would, I would not hesitate to say this, that gossip is one of the biggest problems in the church today if not the biggest because it's so subtle you want to know why because there's a bunch of liars that will say i've got a prayer request no you don't you're a liar that's not a prayer request it's a it's an excuse to gossip about someone who you supposedly love did you hear about so and so well listen we need to pray for her because you won't believe what i heard right that is not prayer it's not godly it's not helpful it's not beneficial it is wicked evil perverse and destroys the church listen okay so some of you say well well i don't do that i don't do that i hope you don't i hope you don't but let me throw another level of rebuke on and i feel the weight of the rebuke too right now just so you know if you, I, it's not like I've never gossiped, right? I've got to catch myself. But let me throw another level of rebuke on. Listen to what it says. Lest he who hears you bring shame upon you. How many times do you sit back and listen to gossip, but you're unwilling to shame the one gossiping? You may, you may have well have been part of the gossip as if you were doing it yourself. If you're willing to sit back and listen to a brother or a sister gossip about another brother or sister or degrade the church or degrade their husband or de degrade their wife and you're, sitting and you're willing to sit there and listen to it and you go, oh yeah, what a shame. Oh my goodness. 
I can't even. I can't even. Well, I didn't gossip, I, but, but I took the juicy nuggets in. Listen, listen to, what the, listen to what this says. It says, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, which that is a whole other point in and of itself. Do not reveal another secrets. What if you live by that principle and you didn't reveal another secrets? Not without having meted it out with him, not without having talked through it with him and, and really got to the bottom of it. And only when it was absolutely necessary and it was going to hurt someone else did you then bring someone else in and say, listen, I, I really just, you know, I really, I, I'm concerned here and I don't want to overstep, but this really concerns me. It seems like there's something that needs to be done about this. And you bring in two or three witnesses. We'll talk about that too. And I got to move because there's a lot here. But how many of us, it says, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and, and your ill repute have no end. That you would come. So here's the, here's the idea. That, uh, th that person A has a problem with person B. And person A, instead of going to person B and saying, hey, can we talk through this? Because I love you and it seems like there's some problems here that we really need to deal with. Instead of going to person B, comes to me who's the higher authority who, or, or who's the court in this illustration. And I listen to them and I'm like, you, you need to be rebuked right now because this isn't a matter for the courts. You need to go and talk to, to that person. Why aren't you bringing this before me? Why don't, this, isn't, this isn't an issue to me. You're sitting here spreading all these things, but you don't even know that's true. You're telling me that you think they're sleeping around or you think that they're doing this or you think they're lying or you think they're getting drunk. You think they're doing this. Have you even went and talked to them? Have you even went and, 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 and laid this out before them? Have you went and pleaded with them? Have you went and talked to them at all? No. Well, all you're doing right now is spreading malicious gossip that is going to destroy their character and you have no clue even if this is real, if this is legit. That person should be shamed in that moment. So, it is that when people come to me, and some of you have done this, if you come to me and you tell me, well, so-and-so so -and -so did this, what is my first question to you going to be? Those of you who have come to me, what's my first question? Have you talked to them? It's going to be my first. Now, is there a time when elders need to get involved? Sure there is. Sure. My first question will be, have you talked to them? Have you sit down and have you talked with them? Do they know that you're upset? If your immediate response when somebody has sinned against you or has offended you is to run to the boss, you think is the boss, or to run to your whatever, to run to this person and say, you won't believe what someone so said about me. I'm going to tell you to stop whining. I'm going to tell you to stop gossiping to me. And I'm going to tell you to go be a man, be a woman, and go talk to that person. And if you're too scared to go talk to that person, then swallow it down, get over it, and let's get on with life. Because obviously it ain't that big of a deal. Okay? Is that too hard for you to swallow? It shouldn't be. Because we choke on anything else. We choke on anything else. It's not where restoration is found. You can't go out spreading gossip, spreading rumors, telling what you thought you heard, thinking that you're going to build a house when all you're doing is striking matches in the dry timber. You're burning it down. You can't think that it's going to, to do anything good. My note says here, says, Why, oh, why do we take matters between husbands, wives, parents, children, brothers, sisters, neighbors to the worldly courts? 
Why do we take these matters to the worldly courts? I don't understand it. Why do we think that that's going to be the way that we can solve problems in a biblical way? These aren't biblical courts. These aren't biblical people. And when, I, and when, the, when the Bible says here to courts, I'm just, I'm just thinking here, any worldly supposed authority or outlet that you could have an audience or a, or, or, or a jury, okay? Doesn't matter if it's official or not. So let's put in this category. Let's go ahead. We will put in legal. That could be one. We can put in social media, okay? We can put in uh, any other gossip factory that you can possibly think of, whether it be your prayer group, okay? How many times in a prayer group, we went over this just a second ago, have we went into a women's or a men's prayer group and we said, you guys, please pray for my wife. She's nutty. Not mine, but other people have done that. <laughs> just saying, just clarifying, clearing the room of any misunderstandings. How many times have you been in a prayer group and a lady will say, guys, please pray for my husband. And she'll go through a laundry list of horrible attributes that he has. He is not there to plead his case. He is not there to clear the air. He is not there to make a defense for himself. You have no idea whether those things are true or not true. You might think you do, but there has nothing been proven. There is no evidence of two or three witnesses presented. And now what has happened is, is that she has set him up in the eyes of however many women's there as a horrendous, wicked man. And they have come to a judgment on him without a, a, a case being made for him by him. It is wicked, it is evil. Men do the same thing. People do the same thing. Why, oh why, do we bring our cases before worldly courts? How many times do I see professing, confessing believers put on Facebook the issues that you are having with your spouse? Why? Why? What are you looking for? Are you looking for your 1,800 worldly friends to say, oh, yeah, that sorry piece, you need to kick him out, right? That's all they're doing. Let me ask you this. When is the last time? Let me ask you this, and I want you to give me a, because every one of you just about are on Facebook. Some of you aren't, but just about all of you are. Instagram, snap a twit, whatever, okay? <laughs> somebody's on something when is the last time hear me out hear me out when is the last time you saw somebody put on facebook my husband did this or my wife did that or this person did this this person did that when is the last time that the majority of the com comments were like this well you know jesus christ died for our sins and we're wicked unbelievers maybe for forgiveness should be your first goal <laughs> When is the last time you saw something go on and they were like, they were like, well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, a kind word turns away wrath. When's the last time that you saw them put up Matthew 18 that says, well, if someone sins against you, you should go to them with their sin to see if you can win your brother. Do you see that? Or do you see the comment section blowing up with people that already agree with you and they have no idea of the situation and it don't matter if you said, I killed him and he didn't die right. They would come on and they would say, well, you should have stuck it in left instead of right, right? 
They are going to agree with you. Why? Because they don't care about restoration. They don't care about what's right. They don't care about the Bible. They don't care about forgiveness, grace, mercy, none of that. All they care about is, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You go get them. They want to, they want to, they want to pump pride. They want to pump self-righteousness. They want to stroke your ego. Why? Because you've amassed a set of friends that think you're something that you're actually not, which is the lie of social media all in the first place. And we, we lay, and you, I, well, maybe not always, but a lot of times, how much do you regret it? Because you laid your husband, you laid your wife, you volleyed them up to a social media audience that despises all things righteous. And then they devour them like the dogs that they are. And it's hardly ever the truth. Why do we... Why do we bring these matters before these courts? Well, I got a suggestion. I would tend to say it's because, in the moment at least, that we have a wicked, rebellious spirit actively moving and doing inside of us that we have given ourselves over to, that we have given into the flesh that we have given into the spirit of darkness, that we have abandoned our commitment to the biblical in that moment, and that we are seeking fleshly, worldly results instead of biblical results. Meaning this, when you serve your husband or your wife or your children or your church or your brother, your sister, whatever, when you serve them up to a, a court, knowing that that court is not gracious, it is not impartial, it is not concerned with truth, then your desire in that moment is to see them destroyed, not see them restored. So let's look at some, some New Testament scripture as we move forward and kind of building this case on how we should handle these situations. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Remember the title of the message is, For the love of all that's holy, stop your whining and gossip. And I mean that. For the love of all that's holy, for the love of God, for the love of the Scripture, for the love of peace, for the love of forgiveness, all things that's holy. Stop doing this. Stop putting your stuff out there on Facebook. If you have a problem with your husband, go to him. We'll figure out how that progresses if he won't repent or if she won't repent. If you have a problem with one of your deacons or with one of your uh, brothers and sisters in church, with your church itself, if you have an issue, don't put your junk out there in any court, whether it be this, you know, the social media thing, whether it be your group of friends, whether it be whatever, come to that person and go through the proper channels. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. When, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? This is New Testament. This is New Covenant. Wisdom's still the same. Principle's still uh, consistent. Let me read that again. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? 
Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is none, none among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Paul might as well say, are you kidding me? What in the world is going on with you guys? We see this more in the realm of, of disputes that might be settled in a civil law suit, maybe a civil case going before a magistrate judge. And even in these matters, Paul is saying, how is it that you can bring these, these cases before a, an unrighteous court? Meaning that this is not the church, that we inside the church should be aware enough of the scriptures, that we should be competent enough in the Holy Spirit, that we should be able to sit down with one another. And if we need to bring in an elder, a team of elders, or if we need to bring in the church, if we need to bring in brothers and sisters, that we can, we, we can reliably look at all the evidence that's been presented and say, look, this is not a matter that should go before a secular court, but we can, we can consider all of this stuff and we can decide this among brothers why why because our utmost concern is for what truth and the glory of the lord jesus christ who is the truth jesus said i am the way the truth and the life you see we care about the truth we care about the truth which necessarily means when you're talking about the truth that we find in the scriptures is that love and peace and reconciliation and restoration and redemption and forgiveness would all be a part of these things. And that the church, one of its utmost desires would be at the end of this thing. See, the court has no, no dog in the fight of whether or not the two defendants, however you want the plaintiff and the defendant, they don't care whether these have a relationship when it's done. I mean, maybe some judges do, but the system doesn't care. It doesn't work into that. Whether they hate each other or love each other at the end of it is, is, is of no consequence. It doesn't matter. As long as they leave each other alone afterwards and they do what they're told to do, mandated, then whatever. But in the church, not only is the truth of what actually happened on the forefront, but what happens to these two at the end of all of this matters as well. And the principles I'm about to pull out of here would say that oftentimes, even when someone has been done wrong, that if the greater goal of reconciliation can be met by one uh, being disregarded or deprived, that they would gladly accept that in order to win their brother back. Now, that's a principle that the court system does not have. You tell me you're in a court system, a secular court, okay? The judgment comes down that person A owes person B $10,000, okay? But person A can't get past the fact that he has to pay this person B $10,000, okay? The court says, I don't care. Pay person B $10,000. Person A will hate person B 
for the rest of their life because they're tied up in these things right now. Person B realizes that person A will be trapped in hatred the rest of his life if he has to pay the $10,000. The court isn't concerned with any of that. If person B is godly and sees that a soul jeopardized by $10,000 is more valuable than $10,000, person B has the right in a biblical case to say, look, all is forgiven. You don't owe me a dime. I would rather pay the $10,000 than to see you riddled with and eaten up by bitterness and hate and all of these things than to have $10,000 in my pocket. The secular court's like, what? What? No, that's not justice. Oh, but the love of God is where justice is most purely found. For this is the gospel. Do you see how the secular courts don't understand the heavenly courts? They don't understand the heavenly mind. They don't understand the goal of Scripture, the goal of restoration. And we'll get to that in just a second, too, when we look at these things with the backdrop of Jesus Christ um, as the defendant, actually. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. When one has a grievance against another, does he dare to uh, go to law before, unright before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And I can't unpack all these scriptures. But what it's saying here is, is that you're perfectly capable of making judgments and working things out between people in a fair way that would be to the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's basically what it's saying here. But I do want to point this out. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Now, what does it say about a person when they have something against someone and they say, hey, all of you, all of you, come over here. Come over here for a minute. Let me tell you what this person did to me. And let me tell you, let me see what you, hey, everybody, come over here. Come here. Let me tell you how horrible they are. See if you can agree with me. Come here. One, it shows, it, that should, that's shameful. That's shameful. But, the, but we escape the shame when we do that, don't we? Why? Because we amass around ourselves people telling us what we want to hear. And we give a false sense, actually, not of shame, but of, of pride, of bolstering. So what's what we do? We, we're acting in wicked ways. We gather up 20 other wicked people, say, come on, let's go be wicked, right? And they gather around you and they say, whoa, man, that's awesome wickedness, right? They don't say it that way. Man, good job. Yeah, they're, they're horrible. Look at how wicked look, right? And we think we've accomplished something. We think we've accomplished something. But we've really, in anybody's eyes who has eyes to see and ears to hear, we've opened ourselves up to shame. Because we've proved that we are, at least in that moment, operating in fleshly, worldly, wicked ways. And we're not willing to do the hard work of the gospel and settling things out. He says, I say this to your open shame. Can it be that there is no one among you? And bottom line is, is that at that moment at least, you don't have the biblical principles that you need in order to bring about biblical ends and biblical goals. So you're giving up the righteous for the wicked. 
And usually we're rolling around in it. So anyway, let's move on. So, okay, so in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, it says, Does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous? Uh, why lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Do you wish to be judged by unbelievers? And this is what we're doing when we, when we go before a, a worldly court, whether it be a, a, a civil system. And there's, there may be times for that. But the vast majority of cases and issues and arguments that arise between believers have no business outside of you and that person and maybe a small group of believers that you gather around you to make sure that you're operating in, in accordance with biblical truth. That's it. And if we could get to that place, the church would explode. Because how many churches split or people leave? Because did you hear what she said about me? Well, she never even said that. Somebody else said something that she might have said when she might have said it, but she didn't say it. And now you said she said it because everybody thinks that she says it. And now everybody thinks that she says it because you said she said it, but she never did say it. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's a wicked scheme from the enemy is what it is. And he's good at it. He's the father of lies. So let's look now at um, Matthew 18 15 through 17 and as you're turning there i want to point one other thing out of this first corinthians text that i that i mentioned just a second ago and we'll look at this in depth a little bit more in, in a minute but watch what it says here it says in as you're turning to matthew 18 in first corinthians 6 it says i say this to your shame can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Watch this. To have lawsuits at all with another, with one another is already a defeat for you. It's already a defeat because you've gotten to the place of lawsuit and you couldn't settle it between yourselves. Settle that out. It's not worth it. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. Just settle it out. But watch what he says. Why not rather suffer wrong? You see the principle now that I was talking about a while ago that the civil court, the secular court does not get it. It does not get it. When you go to a civil court, it is because you've crossed your arms. You say, I'm getting what's mine, right? I'm getting what's rightfully due to me. When in the biblical realm, it is, I want whatever glorifies God the most, no matter what it costs me. Do you see the difference? This is yes, this is no. It says this, I, I fell asleep a little while back. <laughs> Do you see the difference between a civil court and the heavenly court? The, the principles of, of secular law and the principles of a holy law, the law of Christ, that the, that the secular code would say, X, Y, and Z is true, and therefore, uh, this is what I'm owed. This is what is due. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When Christ came, he opened not his mouth. But he received that which was not due him, that he might glorify his Father in heaven by redeeming those who was owed the penalty that he bore in his flesh see the heavenly principle the heavenly court is 
I will pay whatever it costs to maintain shalom, Christian harmony, that I might not wreck my brother, that I might not wreck my wife, that I'm, that's when the principle goes back in Proverbs and says, don't reveal another's secrets. Now, that's not to say that you cover up a crime. That's not the principle there. But it is that you would not lay out the struggles that you have with your husband, with your wife, with your neighbor, to a secular crowd so that they can have a heyday with something that you should have guarded and helped him work on and loved him through, loved her through, protected him through, and prayed them through, and fasted, and saw whatever it cost you that you would see them healed and set free from that thing. You see, one sees vengeance, one sees restoration. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 18. So you see there in, in 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Paul's saying, instead of doing this, you need to be, you need to be uh, willing to be defrauded before you go to court in a secular realm. You need to be willing to, to be wronged before you would set your husband up on Facebook to look like that. No, set your wife. No, don't do that. Don't set them up before a worldly wicked people no you love them there's a time and a place for everything but we hastily do this all right so matthew chapter 18 tells us a more productive way matthew chapter 18 very simple very straightforward starting in verse 15 says this if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Sound familiar? Sound Proverbs 25 familiar? If your brother sins against you, go and tell it to him uh, alone. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here's the principle. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Praise the Lord. What's the goal? What's the goal, peeps? Restoration. If, if one of you sins against me, okay, one of you sins against another one of you. Okay, Robert, he gets mad and cusses me out one day. Not that he would ever do that. Should I go and run to the church and say, Robert cussed, Robert cussed. He's, he's wicked. No, no. You know, right? Well, I go over. Robert, you wouldn't ever cuss, would you? <laughs> he ain't never lied either. I go over and I say, Brother, look, I know you had a hard day the other day. I probably came at you sideways. I'm sorry I shouldn't have never done that, but, but you know you can't talk like that, right? Maybe he's the one talking to me like this, okay? You can't, you can't talk like that. That's, you know, the Bible says we're to be above reproach, so on and so forth. What's he do? He sees my heart. He sees my love. I'm not coming at him crossways. I'm not coming at him hard. I'm not coming at him to hurt him, coming at him to restore him. I say, man, come on, man, you, you're a man of God. I, you slipped up, whatever, man, but that, you know that's not you. He said, you know what, man, you're right. I don't know what got into me, man. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. You know, come here, bro. Right? You've restored your brother. If, you, if he listens, then you've won your brother, right? Now, does it always happen that way? No, nah, he might cuss me out again, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's funny. I like using you, Rob, because you just... You, you, all, you don't never do none of that stuff, so I can. 
He really doesn't cuss me out, just so y'all know. <laughs> Not, it's very few and far between now. <laughs> just kidding, he ain't never done that to me. Not that I heard, anyway. So, does it always happen that way? No, it doesn't always happen that way. They may, get, they may dig their heels in, right? They may dig their heels in. They, you know, they, it may be that you, you know your brother is, is messing around with his wife, right? You may think you know. You go to that brother, you say, hey, man, did I see you out the other night with, with, with this chick? You know, did I say, what's going on there, man? What, you know, you, you married God, man. You, you know, what about? Oh, no, man, you, you lying. You lying. I ain't, I ain't never. Well, you see him out again. And he's, you see him with it, you take a picture, right? Not so that you can blast it all over Facebook like you wicked people do, right? Oh, look at so-and-so. He's supposed to be a Christian. But look at him here. Gotcha, right? Everybody's looking for a gotcha. If you're looking for a gotcha moment, you ain't walking in the Spirit of God. If you, you can write that down. If you're looking for a gotcha moment, you ain't walking in the Spirit of God. That's, that's guaranteed. But if you take this picture now, and you took the picture so that you could talk to him. And you take this picture now, you take it to your brother and you say, look, I know you said that the other day and I was, I really reevaluated because maybe I was wrong because I just had this, I thought I said, maybe I was, I was hope. I didn't hastily go to some court. I was really hoping that I was wrong. But man, I saw you again, man. And I took a picture because I wanted to be sure that you know that I know because I want you to repent, man, your wife. What about your wife? What about your kids? Come on, brother, you've got you to repent of this. We've got to work this out. We've got we to gotta do business here. That ain't me, man. Oh, no, no, no. That's when the, the second parts of this verse would kick in. Listen to what it says. And it's still off restoration. Watch this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Praise God. Restoration. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be something as big as somebody fooling around their wife. It could be anything. Okay? I think so-and-so has been being harsh with me. I think, you know, some of y'all get offended over the craziest things. Just take any one of those things, right? Right? Somebody copped up, uh, looked at me wrong. I literally, I have people come to me and say, so-and-so looked at me so mean the other day. I'm like, for real? What was the look like? And they'd be like. <laughs> I'd be like, how do you know they wouldn't like trying to secretly see if they smelled bad? And that could happen, right? John, you ever done that? You ever snuck a smell? You know, you know sometimes you'd be like. That could be that could be mistaken for a stink eye. What? You ready? You ready? If I'm trying to if I'm trying to sneak a smell, would you take this as a stink eye? Right? See, I wasn't. I was just trying to tell whether or not I needed to shower later, right? So I say, really? Like you you're coming to me. Like, at least in, in this church, I'm one of the five like that would be like the highest place you can go in this church without going to, you know, like Jesus, right? And you're coming to me because somebody looked at you wrong. How do you even, I mean, that's crazy. But, but, I don't want to just completely dismiss, right? But what I say is, they might have been giving you the stink eye, right? They very well could have been. One, 
It's not that big of a deal, right? I don't know. If you get, if you get in a stink eye and you're getting that offended that you're going to put it on Facebook, you need more help than they do for giving you the stink eye. I'm just saying that. Is that okay to say? We're way too easily offended. That is crazy. Like some of y'all give me the stink eye right now, and I'm not going to put it on Facebook, right? It's a bigger problem to get so offended by a stink eye or a non-handshake and to go put it on Facebook than it is that you didn't get the handshake or you got the stink eye. Can we say that legitimately? Is that okay? That is, that is I won't say pathetic, but I didn't say it, okay? Stop, stop. And look, this is what I'm going to tell you. Listen, if somebody gave you the stink eye, then be man enough to go over to a woman enough to go over to them and say, look, I was in church the other day, and I know this seems kind of silly. See how it'll start to come out how silly it is? Because when you start saying it out loud, right, it was, it's, it's like, oh, no, am I really saying this? So this will tell you. Like, you go up to, to, to Brother Gary, and I'll be like, Gary, listen, man. I was in church the other day, and uh, I couldn't help but notice, I think you gave me the stink eye. And Gary's like, oh, did I really? Yeah, what was the what was the look? And and you're like, well, I saw you and you kind of did like this. And Gary's like, oh, bro, I, I didn't shower the night before, and I was, I was. <laughs> or he might say, or he might say, well, yeah, I just, you know, I I thought you were giving me this thing, guys, so I gave it back. I don't know, but as it's coming out of your mouth, you realize all of a sudden how stupid. You sound for making a huge deal out of this look on somebody's face. And it may be, it may be, it's like, man, this is just the face God gave me, right? <laughs> what am I going to do, right? I have people say to me all the time, you say, you seem unapproachable. I don't mean to seem unapproachable. I got a guy that works for me. I don't, I don't think he's here today. Is he here today? I don't think I've seen him. Ryan, you here? Oh, just called you out. My bad, bro. That he looks mad all the time, and he knows he looks mad all the time. And I talk, we talk about this joking around because people say that I look mad or I look unapproachable, I look upset all the time. And I don't mean to. It's just like my face, right? I don't, that's my face. And uh, I talk around, he says, man, people ask me all the time, why are you mad? Why are you mad? And he's like, I, why do you think I'm mad? <laughs> it's, that's just the way his face is, you know? Uh, so you don't ever know. So go, so go to him, and, but you go with two or three more. You say, look, okay, you said you wouldn't give me the stink eye, but I went over here, and I got two or three more brothers who love the Lord, and I ain't gossiping about it, but I did talk to them about it, and they recognized and noticed that you are giving me the stink eye. They saw you give me the stink eye too. So we go back with two or three more. Yeah, just like that, Gary. You got it down pat. So we go back with two or three more so that the truth is established, and the two or three more say, Brother, what's going on? You really are just giving him down the road. You give him the stink eye. We saw you give him the stink eye. What's going on? Well, if you must know, and we get to the bottom of it, for what? Watch what it says. Two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, and okay, now it goes into the next refusal, but in that carries along with it that he may have listened. What if he listens to the two or three? Then we revert back to what it says about the going to him alone and what you have won your brother. Now, if he, do, if he refuses to listen again, and it doesn't matter what the charge is, if he refuses to listen again, then we bring it before the, before the whole church, okay? Now, this isn't a, this isn't a church discipline sermon, so I, I'm not going to go into all of that and how, and how all of that works. But this is how church discipline works. It's how 
um, working things out between her brother works. I'm not going to go into the whole church discipline things because what I'm talking about right now is I'm talking about the way that we interact with just a brother or a sister, husband or a wife, son or a daughter, in order to bring about the most godly means possible. And we cannot be out to get a gotcha moment. We cannot be out to get what we're due, but we've got to be out to be uh, in every way seeking to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in the uh, most extreme ways that we possibly can sometimes that will mean us being defrauded willingly sometimes it will mean us being wronged willingly and accepting that and let it letting it be a part of what we receive so that they might be redeemed and so that they might be restored now let me give you a couple of principles that we and this is the end of the sermon we'll finish it up with these last few uh texts so we've got about another 10 minutes okay about another 10 minutes and i'll be done Check this out. Check this out. I, I did just jot these down here. I can, I can make a copy of these notes if you want. There's a little bit more here that I didn't have time to go over. But um, these, these couple of uh, texts here reestablishes or establishes this idea of the truth needing to be established by two or three witnesses. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's Paul again. And Paul again in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 15 says, do not, admit, do not even admit a charge, do not even entertain a charge against an elder except it's on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Somebody brings a, a charge against an elder or someone who's in, in leadership in the church, you don't even listen to that charge unless it's got two or three witnesses with it. Why? Because everybody's out to get them, tear them down, destroy them. So you don't listen to foolish blabber, gossip, you don't even entertain it. If it's, got, if it's established by two or three witnesses, then you entertain that idea. Then you start to, to um, uh, walk that out, to uh, consider those evidences and things like that. What we're looking at is, is that the evidence must be established by two or three witnesses, that it must be founded on good grounds before you progress in that case, okay, before you progress in those charges. Uh, Matthew 18 establishes that you go to the person first, face-to-face, if they won't listen, you go with two or three witnesses. If that still doesn't work, then you bring them before the whole church. And then at the end of that section, it does say that you turn them over and that you, that you treat them as an unbeliever or a tax collector. Now, some people think that that means for some odd reason that that means now you treat them badly. You know, oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't admit this or, or you wouldn't be restored. Get out of here, you tax collector, right? And you kick them out of the church. Get, get out of here, right? But is that really, okay, so all we need to do to, to clarify that is ask the question. So it says in Matthew 18 that you go to them, they don't listen, two or three witnesses, they don't listen, take them before the church, if they don't listen, then you put them out of the church, you, you turn them over to Satan, that you let Satan deal with them, that you, that you treat them as an unbeliever, that you treat them as a tax collector, but, but why? How do we, so the, the vast majority of the people that I know of thinks that means that we just completely just just lambast them we get rid of them you know this tax collector get them out of our church but that's not at all how okay how did jesus treat tax collectors he he actually started a deeper intentional fellowship with them for what for restoration <laughs> it's all about restoration and so with the tax collectors and the sinners what did jesus do he went out of his way to develop personal relationships with them so that he might share the gospel with them so that they might be radically transformed by the power of the lord jesus christ through the propitiation that he himself made 
also the whole kibbutz, the whole shebang is for restoration. And the only reason we excommunicate somebody or put them out of the church is so that they can see what it's like in the world so that we can clearly present the gospel, radically go after them to love them and to bring them into a place where they can understand what the gospel is so that they might be saved, so that they might be restored. You see, the world cares nothing about that. There's no civil court. There's no federal court. There's no secular court that cares about the restoration between the individuals that, that, are, that are involved. That's not what that court's for. It's not what it's for. But when we enter into arguments, when we take things before one another, our primary desire and goal is restoration of the individuals. Do you understand that? If this is not our highest goal, then we have something else that is a problem in our hearts. If you're looking to get your money's worth, if you're looking for them to pay for how they've hurt you, if you're looking to, to, to have a gotcha moment where you, you reveal, I mean, how many times have, have this really been a part of your heart? When you've been trying to, you have a case and you're trying to deal with it, whether it's between, and I say case, but I'm talking about whether it's something between you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your kids, and in your heart, you're really just trying to reveal them for the snake that they are. You want everybody to see what, who they really are. What are you saying? You're saying that your heart's intent is to bring pain. You want them to hurt. You want them to be ridiculed. You want them to feel the, the weight of the stake. You want them to feel what you feel. You want them to feel the pain that you feel. You want them to pay for it. You want vengeance. You want them to pay, right? You want them to feel pain. Turn over with me, if, or I can just read it. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Verses 7 through 9. Let's start back at verse 4. Verses 4 through 9. I want you to listen to this. Surely he, this is verse 4 of chapter 53 of Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for this gener and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. You see, Jesus Christ was taken to the court of the world. He was taken to a Jewish court that was supposed to be holy but was not. He was taken before the Sanhedrin. He was taken before 
Roman officials. He was taken before all of these secular, worldly courts. Huh? Yeah, before Pilate, before all of these secular, evil men. Why? Because the supposed believers, the supposed believers of God, the, the, the house of Israel, the supposed people of God, wanted him to pay. They wanted him to pay. And even when uh, Barabbas was brought out, because he didn't want to, he didn't want it to have anything to do with, with crucifying Jesus. And it was the custom that they would release one. And so having this desire not to be the one who would crucify Jesus, he brought out, seemingly brought out the worst man he could possibly find, this murderer. He says, it's our custom that we would let one go. You have here this Jesus who has done, I really don't even know what. I find no fault in the man, right? So he said, or I can let go. I can let Barabbas go, you know, the murderer, like the, the, the convicted, he actually did it, murderer. What did the crowd yell? Were they, were they seeking restoration? Were they seeking truth? Were they seeking all things holy? Or had they amassed a self-seeking, self-backing Facebook crowd that had the same ideas in them and screamed, we want Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him, Barabbas, we want Barabbas. And so they let Barabbas go. How many times have you seen a Facebook post condemning a husband or a wife or a church or whatever? How many times have you seen them say, mercy, grace, no. How many times have you heard them yell, crucify him. We want Barabbas. So you just think the next time you offer up your husband or your wife or your church or your brother, your sister or whoever, the next time you offer them up on the Facebook court, you remember that's the same exact thing they did to Jesus Christ. That is the same exact thing. Now what was Jesus doing? He was silent before his shearers. You guys can come on up. Matthew chapter 27 is the, is the last verse. And it is relating back to what we just read. But watch what it says here. Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 14. <clears throat> Speaking of this time, listen to what it says. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you've said so. You said it. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Can you not, Jesus, can you not hear all the things that they are saying about you? I can only imagine that he's almost pleading with the palace almost pleading with you look make a defense for yourself make a defense for yourself jesus 
You know what they're going to, you know what all the things that they say. You know these things aren't true, Jesus. Make a defense for yourself. Show them to be the liars that they are, Jesus. This isn't right, Jesus. Show them to be the liars that they are. If you will let it be known, if you will give a defense, if you will let it be known that they're liars and they're hypocrites and they are bloodthirsty, just let it be known. Bring to them what's rightfully deserved. Jesus gave no answer. The civil court, Pilate, the civil court, Pilate, the, the secular court, don't, they, he doesn't get it. He's like, what are you doing? Jesus, you know what they're going to do? They're going to kill you. They are literally going to kill you. And you don't deserve this. You don't deserve this, Jesus. Now, obviously, I'm reading some into the text here. But it seems if, as if Pilate clearly knows. He washed his hands. I, mean, I, don't, I find no fault in this man. Let's do something else. Look, uh, okay, okay, I know, I know. There's a, there's a stipulation that I can let one person go. Let's, let's try that. Let's try that. It seems, like, it seems to me fairly obvious that Pilate, he was trying to get out of this. I don't want this blood on my hand. I don't, I, no, 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 no. Jesus, give a defense. What are you doing? They're going to kill you. You see, the secular court doesn't get it. The secular mind doesn't get it. The flesh doesn't, doesn't get it. It is impossible for the flesh to please God. The flesh doesn't get it. Only spiritually minded. Okay. Jesus steps back. You see, you don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand what I'm doing. Where do you think the writing that Paul wrote came from? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, wouldn't it be better to be defrauded? Wouldn't it be better to be wronged than to bring these matters into a secular court and make a fool out of yourself, defending yourself as if you deserved anything? But this is my stuff, is it? Or do you have everything you have because God has blessed you to have it, and if the Lord gives, the Lord can take away? But who are we? to destroy those who God has made so that we can preserve our own self-righteousness and the wealth that we've accumulated. Jesus was the most innocent human being that ever lived on the face of the earth. And when he went before the secular court, he gave no answer. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. I could keep on going. We know the story. Jesus would not give a defense. He could have, could he not? He could have said, Okay, man, yeah, you're right, Pilate. I don't want to be killed. This isn't right. This ain't right. I'm not dying for these jokers, right? Like all of y'all, like every one of y'all, me too. He died for us. You know how wrong that was? Oh, but, oh, so right. They should have never traded. Why? It doesn't make any sense, right? Why would Jesus trade his life for yours? Did he not know? 
Like y'all are crazy, right? Me too. We're all jacked up. We got so many problems. But Jesus, in order, so I wrote this down. So I don't want to mess it up because Christ before unrighteous judges chose to suffer wrong and be defrauded for restoration, redemption, and forgiveness. This is a this is a, a court that the world knows not of. That Jesus Christ lay down his life for the redemption of the ungodly. And it was by his stripes that we were healed. Now, let me bring all this back around to show you how practical this is. The next time somebody does something to you, I want you to ask yourself, have I done worse to Jesus? So the next time somebody looks at you like that, right? You say, well, I crucified Christ, so I'll let you slide, brother, right? Right? The next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, you'd be like, well, those, those stripes on Christ's back, I kind of did do that, you know? So when they cut you off, you'd be like, instead of giving them the finger, give them all five fingers. Hey, have a nice day. Y'all give them a smile, right? The next time your wife is frustrated and lashes out at you, absolutely just ticking you off, you just say, well, I deserve that. <laughs> that would be the best thing. Now you say, oh, I've done much worse to Jesus. There's a, um, there's a song that talks about this and uh it's been a while since i listened to the song but um oh what's the name of that song oh man I'll, I'll i'll think of it and i'll post it on facebook later but it talks about how judas betrayed jesus for 30 pieces of silver i've done it for less peter denied christ three times i've done it more so you see how these disputes somebody somebody takes money from you what if it was that you were to say man they must have really needed that money maybe I need to go find them and see if maybe they might need a little bit more even all of us even in our fleshly side of us going man you crazy man that's stupid but Jesus is the one that says if they if they take what do they say if they if he takes your cloak and you give them, I'm like, what does it say? Come on, help me out. If they take your shirt, your tunic, as you give them your cloak as well or something along that lines. Basically, if they take from you, the principle is that they must be in need. So what, what kind of transformation in your mind would it have to be that when somebody wrongs you, that you would have to go to them and say, hey, I know you wronged me and I know I should be upset and this is going to be weird, but like, are you okay? Are you okay? Like, there's got to be something going on that you would do that, that you would need to steal from me. Look, I'm not worried about the money. I'm not worried about the money. As a matter of fact, did, did you get what you needed? Did, did you get enough? Like, I know you stole $100 from me, but why did you need to steal? I mean, because you might need a little bit more. and You've got to be going on hard times if you would steal. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But the things of God don't make sense. The things of God don't make sense. I, I, I hope that that... I hope that that made sense. I hope that everything's flowing together. The bottom line is, is that 
Stop whining and gossiping and, and trying to bash everybody all over Facebook or to your friends or to your prayer group or to whoever. Right? Do not talk about your wife to your children or your husband to your children. That's crazy. That's crazy. You're destroying things. Go to them one-on-one. -on -one. Fight, argue, work it out. And have biblical principles and the glory of God as your goal restoration. You go to that place of argument with full intention of restoring that relationship. And if you have to give up more, if you have to be more embarrassed, if you have to be more uh, made fun of, if you have to receive it all, then you receive it knowing that you've got a good example to follow and the one who prepared the way. Knowing that Christ took the beating. He carried the cross. He climbed up on it. He bled out. He got put in the grave. Why? So that you could be restored to God in heaven. Stop being so greedy. Stop being so selfish. Stop being so easily offended. Half the things that we're fighting about is just stupid anyway. So stupid, right? Just, just ask the person. Look, go and ask the person that sinned against you. Look, I thought that this happened. I don't even know if I should be offended. Should I be offended? Nine times out of ten, I guarantee they'll be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even know I looked at you that way. Oh, no. I'm so sorry I forgot to text you back. My people be calling me. Or texting me, and they'll be like, you don't ever answer my phone calls. You don't ever text me. I'll be like, I'm so sorry. I got so busy. I meant to. I promise. I promise. I need to call you back. And that does happen to me. I'm sorry. I know, Robert. I didn't want to, you know. I know Robert gets mad at me when I don't text him back immediately. Right? Uh, but I try to. I try to. Robert, please forgive me. Listen, be gentle with one another. We all live in life. We all going crazy. We all trying. And when somebody actually does sin against you, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, if someone sins against you, then you who are more, uh, more spiritual should go and restore them in gentleness and in respect. Go and do it. Have the highest calling of restoration in the Lord Jesus Christ at the forefront of your mind. And do away with all of this silly whining and gossip and Facebook extravaganzas. People do love to watch that stuff, but it's a train wreck. It's a train wreck. Don't, don't, don't be the spectacle for a bunch of fleshly people on Facebook to be sitting back eating popcorn, watching you destroy your whole life right before their very eyes. It's not worth it. Give glory to God. Let's respond to Him however we need to.